Are you an early stage founder looking to grow your SaaS? The SaaS Doc Founder Membership is a private community of ambitious SaaS founders where you can get a support network of peers, connect with like-minded founders around the globe, and learn proven strategies from industry experts to help you scale up your SaaS. If you want to get access to peer groups, investor meetings, mentor hours, and more to help you scale faster together, then visit sasdoc.com forward slash founder hyphen membership to apply, or just go to sasdoc.com and go up to the header menu and click on memberships. And even your application form, if it's right for you, mention the SAS Revolution show uh, to apply for an exclusive discount. Find your SAS tribe and thrive with the SASDoc founder membership. This podcast is sponsored by G2, the place for buying, selling, and reviewing software. All audiences aren't built equally. Learn to connect with interested and engaged buyers at the right time with G2 buyer intent. Uncover who's researching your product so you know when to reach out and what to say. Sell more and close bigger deals by sending personalized messages directly to buyers ready to talk tech. G2, smarter software decisions made together. Join the community at www.sell.g2.com slash This podcast is sponsored by Chargeify. Chargeify provides specialized billing and data management tools to give B2B SaaS companies the competitive edge. Over the past 12 years, Chargeify has partnered with champions in SaaS like SpendSpark, Mailgun, Connect, and Earthclass Mail to streamline their billing processes, build and nurture lasting relationships with customers, and strategically optimize their organizations for long-term growth. Chargeify's innovative software empowers every B2B SaaS company to step into the future of billing. Visit chargeify.com forward slash SaaSdoc to learn more. I think managing your emotions throughout the, the race is very, very important. And don't compare your journey to anyone else's because you could just, you know, receive a no and then you open TechCrunch and someone just raised 10 million, you know, <laughs> two months after raising 5 million and you're like, oh my God, what am I doing wrong? You know, <laughs> uh, And it's really easy to get discouraged. Don't take any rejection personally. Um, and some people, you know, give you reasons where, you know, you immediately want to argue back, but you know what, it's their opinion, like you're not a million dollars for everyone to like you. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host Alex Thuma and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show, Daria Danalina, co-founder and chief customer officer at SalesRoom. Welcome Daria. Hi, Alex. Great to be here. Yeah, great to have you on the podcast for the first time. It was actually, it was going to be a different podcast. And, and maybe for those that, that, that are listening, if, if they weren't aware, that um, we, we were doing uh, another show called Deconstructing the Rays, which was on a platform called Capiche FM, where we were like going deep into how founders have successfully raised pre-seed, seed, series A. And uh, that platform got acquired uh, by some other company, and then they 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 shuttered that down. Um, but then we thought, well, look, you know, had had this uh, call booked in with uh, uh, with you, and uh, and I think like sales room, we're very kind of excited about the uh, the product. 
thought we'd come in. Uh, I think we're not the only ones that are excited and, and thought, like, let, let's talk about the story, where you're at at the moment, uh, where you're going, you, you know, uh, with the product and, uh, and your early successes and, and learning. So uh, excited to dig into that. So slightly different from the original intention, but uh, I think it's going to make for a, a great podcast. So, uh, yeah, we, we actually officially came out of stealth yesterday and launched the website. So this is basically the first uh, public interview that Salesroom is having ever. So <laughs> Yeah, well, so I, I, saw that, I saw that timing. So you and Roy yeah. updated your, your LinkedIn uh, profiles. And I thought, okay, they're out of stealth. And then <laughs> we can also, I think, like talk about that as, as well. Like, you, you know, yeah. why, why you were in stealth why out of, you know, how long for and why you're out of it now. And so that, that'll be quite interesting. But, but before, before, before we do that, like, who are you? Like, who, who is Daria Delina? <laughs> yeah. uh, like, tell us a little bit about yourself as a person, yeah. you know, and your background and so on. Sure. So um, I'm Russian, as you can probably tell. Um, but London has been my home slash kind of home base for the last 12 years. Um, I've also lived in Germany, Ireland, Canada, and kind of been around the place. Um, I actually spent most of my kind of childhood and teenage years trying to become a professional tennis player. I wasn't very good at it, <laughs> otherwise we wouldn't be talking right now. You know? um, but uh, yeah, that was a big part of my life and it was really fun. Um, it, I, I'm not a professional tennis player right now. Um, I um, consider myself a very big nerd. I read a lot. I got very deep into um, running and fitness and other things a few years back. Now that's kind of probably uh, has a second place to, to sales room. Um, my biggest uh, hobby is dogs. I have a golden doodle named Abby and that's not my password if anyone's trying to hack anything. <laughs> and uh, yeah, work-wise, I spent the last eight years working in startups and VC. Um, and before that, I was a salesperson on the trading floor selling uh, fixed income. Great stuff. Thanks for uh, sharing that. And you did warn me and, and for the listeners there that your go golden doodle is currently asleep and could potentially yes. <laughs> wake up and uh, you know, ask to be fed and, uh, and so on. But uh, as I say, this, this is kind of what to be expected uh, um, uh, sort of these days is where we're all on, on Zoom or soon to be sales room uh, for, for different purposes, right? So, uh, but so let, 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 let's talk about uh, sales room. So you, you talked about your, your, your past sort of background from, I guess, the years of uh, trying to be a tennis pro to, you know, being in sales to being in VC. And now you've co-founded a SaaS company. Why did you want to co-found a SaaS company? What was the story uh, of, of getting together uh, like with Roy and you know coming up with Salesroom? Funny enough, I wasn't one of those people who always said, you know, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to run my business. I think I just always said I want to have an interesting job and kind of followed my curiosity there. Um, but when I did tell people about Salesroom, a lot of people were like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not surprised. Um, I think the story starts with really kind of my first job in sales. Um, in Europe, but also in the US, sales is not really seen as a career worth pursuing. Like if, if people think you're smart and you tell them you work in sales, then there's a lot of raised eyebrows. Um, and there's a very big misconception about what actually being a good salesperson means. And, and the, the TLDR of it is it's not about being salesy, entertaining people, being personable. It's about diagnosing problems. Um, and the faster you can diagnose the problem and realize, you know, whether what you're selling fits 
can, can be the solution to the problem, the more successful you will be as a salesperson. Um, it's an it's a very strategic job, especially the more enterprise you go when you have deals with six to a year to beyond the year long sales cycles. You're navigating, you know, ten to twenty stakeholders at any one time. Um, and, and as far as kind of the hierarchy of skills in life goes, mastering persuasion, what sales is about, ranks kind of a lot higher than Excel and PowerPoint. Um, and I think it should also be said that a, a mid-market AE makes pretty much as much money as, you know, a principal at a top consulting firm, which a lot of people don't know. And so I feel like here and, and on the other side of this is most companies fail not because engineers can deliver what they said they were going to deliver but because something in the go-to-market strategy doesn't work. Um, so, so here you have this function that is incredibly important to every company from a startup to a, a massive publicly traded one um, that is not getting any kind of respect and love and, and you know, not many people dream of working in sales. Um, and I think it's very much reflected in the stack of software that salespeople are using. Like if you use some of the general productivity apps and then you switch to sales software, the difference is basically like, you know, Windows 2010 and Mac, right? <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and so both me and, and my co-founder Roy, we both uh, spent significant time working in sales and uh, we shared, we kind of bonded over our, you know, belief that sales should be a first-class citizen amongst other functions. Um, and then the, the other persona that we felt that was incredibly neglected is the buyer. Um, nothing currently used by salespeople is touches the buyer ever. Like you can change from Salesforce to HubSpot to Pipedrive and back. And the buyer is just a name in a box, um, which we, we felt wasn't right. So, um, so we set out to build a product that was basically, you know, like a 21st century sales system um, easy to use, on par, customer experiences, normal productivity tools. Um, and COVID really was just a, an accelerator, sort of a, a kick in the backside and, you know, um, sort of a, a good timing, right? Rather than being a salesman being a response to COVID. Just on that point, I mean, mm. yeah, how SaaS uh, or how COVID has been accelerated for many SaaS companies right which is kind of mm. logical and especially like ones to uh, name like hop in for instance and how it's been that yeah. accelerant and you know really helped sort of drive the, uh, the the growth of the and change the way that people are working so uh, definitely from a timing side of things it, it, it seems like yeah you, you know your idea to you know uh, product solution and you know where the world is sort of right now it seems like uh uh, a, a great fit to a, a problem that that, that that people are having. Kind of yeah, like. so so sales kind of before going into COVID already was 50-50 between direct and, and what we call inside sales. Um, and it has been going that way for many reasons, mostly kind of productivity and cost. Trailing salespeople are very expensive um, and, and not very productive uh, just by sort of number of meetings a day you can have. But at the same time, you know, if you are a buyer and you're about to pay you know, six figures for a solution you can or cannot do a POC, you know, it's very hard to trust people when you've never met them face to face, right? There is this element that I think was very hard to bridge. Um, and, and and we're hoping that, you know, I, I'm, I'm not saying face to face meetings are going to disappear entirely, but I think that the, the tools for building that trust remotely should should be a lot better than they are right now. How did you meet Roy? Because he's had uh, a pretty sort of like decent exit. So he's a, a second time founder. 
uh, had a had a pretty decent exit. How did, yeah. how did you guys meet? Yeah, so we met in a company called Codility, uh, where, uh, so as I said, I was an investor before. The fund I worked for uh, backed Codility, and Roy invested in Codility as, a, as an angel investor and um, helped them with their go-to-market strategy. So we met as another startup. Cool, very good. Yeah, we know Codility uh, is in the Natalia is the yeah. CEO there, and she spoke yeah. at, at a few SaaS stock uh, events over the last uh, sort of year. Um, uh, so good to know. I actually didn't know that, uh, uh, that background. Um, and yeah, and so then uh, I guess you, uh, or, or you know, sales room uh, sort of raised some pre-seed uh, funding uh, with Village Global and Seedcamp as the, uh, the lead investors. How did you go about that? I guess moving from, you've gone from mm. being a VC to now raising capital. Did that, that yeah. obviously would have given you some insights and a bit of an advantage in terms of what yeah. to do, right? Uh, but yeah, tell us a little bit about how you, you yeah. and, and why those investors? Why? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, I think we started kind of by um, really, really deeply understanding the space we're in um, and conducting a lot of interviews, asking people kind of quite in-depth and embarrassing questions from, you know, how do you take notes? Are you worried that people hear you typing? Where do you position your camera when you speak to people, right? What are, which other tabs do you have open, right? So we, we probably spend a few months really kind of deeply interviewing our, our potential users, kind of mostly people from our networks because we both have been working with sales and, and we've designed this whole workflow of, of what we think the process should look like. Um, at this point, we you know we didn't think about the cost of building it. Like, is it even feasible to build it? We just designed this perfect workflow, um, and we had kind of a, a freelance designer in Ukraine helping us build, like, visualize what we think the experience would be like. Um, and then we started pitching to investors. So at this point, it was kind of the two of us, a PowerPoint and, and a Figma file, right? So, um, which I think is, is is quite unusual. We we did not have um, anything built when we started fundraising. Um, we also started fundraising on the 23rd of December, which is, uh, let me tell you now, not a good time to start fundraising. <laughs> All VCs are on holiday, right? No, but so the, the, so the thing is, I'm Russian and Roy is Israeli, right? So Christmas, for me, Christmas is like 7th of January and Roy sort of thing. So um, that, was, uh, that was not a good strategy. Like the, the first two weeks were pretty much dead. And then we, we just started talking with people. Um, and I think what stood out about both Village and Seedcamp to us is that they have experienced the problem firsthand um, through all of the portfolio companies that you know they have and all of the challenges that their companies faced. So from the very first call, the, the conversation we had wasn't basically about education of the problem, but more like how how are you solving it? You know, why this? Um, and, and it was a lot more in depth than the conversations we had with other investors. Um, and I think they, we kind of, you know, we, we picked them because we felt that we were very much aligned on, you know, the, the opportunity and, and how to go about it. We also had a very opinionated approach to, to the product. So we, we come with like a pre-backed workflow for virtual meetings. And, you know, uh, th there are people who don't agree with this. There are others who agree with it. So it's, pretty much about fund, finding the, the right fit. Um, it took us probably six weeks to get, you know, the main kind of, you know, people there and, and, and details ironed out, including the, the two dead ones. <laughs> so, um, 
I don't know. I, I, I hate giving those benchmarks because I think everyone's journey is very individual and, you know, yeah. I don't want anyone to feel like, you know, if it takes longer, it's worse. It's just, you yeah. know, everyone has their own journey. Um, yeah. So also um, I want to mention, we also have 20 individual investors um, out apart from Village and Seedcamp, including you and, and Chris from the Sustop VC. We're very proud of that. And um that, that group of individuals includes people who were, you know, PMs at Salesforce and Microsoft and really people from the community, sales leaders, entrepreneurs. And we're very proud about, you know, every single name we have on the cap table, not, not just the big ones. <laughs> no, amazing. I mean, I'd say you, you, you've, got, you've got the big ones and, you, you know, those like, I mean, Seedcamp, you know, such a, a great, uh, I guess, kind of like history of, you know, creating uh, unicorns, European uh, unicorns. Uh, uh, as well, but then also this very kind of like smart approach, which a lot of companies, SaaS companies are, are doing now in terms of like looking at, you know, what are the, the kind of the, the individuals or angels that we could get on board and like strategically, how can they help and sort of leaving room on the cap table for, for them. So uh, that's great. And obviously uh, a, a SaaS stock is one of the, the, the first mm. sort of, uh, you know, investments that, that, that we've done and, and great mm. to be involved in that. So uh, um, really appreciate to uh, uh, to be involved and uh, yeah, uh, I think uh, something we're really proud of. We have people on our cap table for whom we are their first angel investment, um, which I think is is something that for us, you know, is kind of the best kind of validation when you speak with the head of sales in a company and they're like, "Oh, this is really cool. Like, how can I be part of it?" And you know, it's uh, in in kind of monetary terms, those checks are not significant, but in terms of you know what these people bring in terms of spirit and, and just validation, I think it's it's invaluable. And how much did you raise uh, on, on the pre-seeds? Uh, yeah, 1.4 million. 1.4 million, so pretty decent pre-seed. And now, like, are you have you already gone into the, the seed stage mm. funding process? Because I, I, I guess, like, on the back of the, the pre-seed, then you're kind of raising, like, mm. you know, awareness within the VC community and people are starting to knock on the door and you know, talk to us and, you, you know, kind of take our money and so on. So but what, what, what was the, uh, what was the, like, after you closed sort of pre-seed, yeah. how soon were you getting into the <laughs> discussions? Yeah, so um, we haven't spoken with a, with a single new investor since closing the round, you know, unless, uh, unless Roy is doing something behind my back that I don't know about. Um, I think you just have to be very disciplined uh, as an entrepreneur because it's very easy to get sidetracked by, you know, interest from investors. And in the end of the day, you know, it's uh, I, in finance, we talk about kind of perfect information and, you know, there's always this tug of war between as an investor, you want to have access before everybody else does. And as an entrepreneur, it's actually in your interest to kind of gate access to make sure that everybody's is you know part of the same funnel um but i think for us it's it's, it's less uh, scrupulous than that it's more just the fact that we've, we've raised enough money for for now to build a uh what we believe is a really kind of wow experience we want of the product and and that's what we're focused on you mentioned a couple already but like what, what would you say mm. the key takeaways lessons that you've learned from from raising uh the the, the pre-seed mm. So this is probably kind of for me as this is the first time entrepreneur. And I don't know if you ask Roy, that would be different. Um, the first and definitely not, I think managing your emotions uh, throughout the, the race is very, very important. 
and don't compare your journey to anyone else's because you could just, you know, receive a no and then you open TechCrunch and someone just raised 10 million, you know, <laughs> two months after raising 5 million and you're like, oh my God, what am I doing wrong? You know, uh, and it's really easy to get discouraged. Don't take any rejection personally. Um, and, and, and some people, you know, give you reasons where, you know, you immediately want to argue back, but you know what, it's their opinion. Like you're, you're not a million dollars for, for everyone to like you. I think the most actionable one is you have to run a good process. Um, and that means kind of getting everyone into the same funnel um, and letting people sort of go through stages uh, of that funnel at the same time, not let anyone go ahead because then, you know, you receive a term sheet and, and you, in almost all cases, like have to answer within a few days. And then you have other people who you just had the first call with, which puts you in a not a very good situation. And what are the uh, the reasons, I guess, as we go into like the, you mentioned at the beginning, just come out of stealth. Uh, now, I guess, you know, we're getting into market, mm. the, um, uh, getting users in for, for early access. What what are the reasons for, for being in stealth? Is this kind of like just doing the product development and getting, just getting ready, uh, I, I guess, to, mm. to be ready for, ready for market? Uh, uh, yeah, I guess, what are your reasons? And then let's go into a little bit of now that you're out of stealth, what is that go-to-market plan? Yeah, sure. So I think for us, especially in sales, the, the market is quite crowded. Um, and, you know, I mean, I've been looking at sales tools for the last 10 years, and even I can't tell you the difference between certain things. So I think for us from the very beginning, a very targeted narrative was very important, uh, just to make sure that, you know, someone looks at our website and knows immediately how we're different from Gong and Chorus and, and a lot of other things. Um, so it took us time to just craft that narrative. And um, another word of advice I would give to entrepreneurs is, you know, just hire someone to help with that. Um, hire a good copywriter, hire people who just know how to facilitate that process of getting those insights out of your head, you know, and how to communicate that to, to people who don't, you know, live and breathe what you're doing every day. Um, and so that process took time. Um, and we didn't want to basically go out with a story that was half-baked and then have to change the narrative sort of halfway through because that, that you know, you, you burn some bridges doing that. Um, so the market is, is the, the plan going forward is kind of twofold. One is on um, continuing to build brand awareness and, and starting to, you know, generate content and, you know, establish ourselves as authority on things like buyer experience and, you um, uh, you know, real-time guidance, kind of virtual sales. Uh, the second path is, so that's very much like wide funnel. On the narrow funnel, uh, we'd love to speak with any AE that would love to speak with us. Um, so if you're an account executive and then you'd like to learn more about SalesRoom, please email me at dari at salesroom.com. Um, so we, we continue to, you know, interview a lot of people, get their feedback, get their views, and then slowly kind of roll people into the, into the early access program. Um, in the kind of medium term, we probably will we'll go to market with a premium type proposition. Um, but sort of, if I could describe it, it's probably a mixture between Dropbox and Superhuman. Uh, Dropbox in a way where, you know, there will always be kind of a free paid individual users and, and team accounts and, and Superhuman in a way that we want to take onboarding very seriously. And pretty much everyone who signs up to sales room will have a 30 minute call with someone from our team to make sure that they're getting going. Okay, amazing, amazing, good stuff. And I'm looking at the website, we, I saw uh, Roy yourself, and I, I think I want to say Chris, uh, but I, I don't know if I got that right. 
No? <laughs> no, it's Chuck, but anyway. Chuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, I, got the, I got the C and the H uh, right. Yeah. So, um, and it, is that the team today? Is it, is it the three of you? Um, um, no, no, no. We have more people. So, so Chuck joined us recently as a head of engineering. He's, he's an amazing guy. He was the most senior tech person at General Assembly before joining us. Uh, we're very proud to have to have gotten him on, on, on this crazy journey. Um, we also have an engineer in New York who is joining us in July. Uh, we have a UX designer in Kiev, uh, and we have a, a number of kind of freelancers and consultants. Um, and uh, as I said, kind of copywriting and, and uh, graphical agencies as well. Um, we're hiring engineers and designers. So if uh, if I sound like a, a fun person to work with, <laughs> please get in touch. You know? um, yeah, so that the, we'll hope to be kind of 10 people full time by the end of the year. Cool. Uh, very good. And I, I noticed that, uh, I mean, so you're, you're co-founder and chief customer officer. Um, yeah. And so, like, you, you know, when a company is, I guess, kind of this young, uh, do do you often see like a chief customer officer sort of like type role? I mean, I guess generally, like you, you know, co-founders when they when they come in, you often have to. Well, some, mm. sometimes you know, co-founders will just remain co-founders, and one will become the CEO, and and, and so on and so yeah. forth. But yeah, what are your thoughts on why you chose that that specific sort of mm. like role and the benefits of that? Yeah. Sure, sure. So, I mean, I think at, at, at the early stage, you have to do two things, build and sell. <laughs> and then, uh, maybe with a caveat that you also have to raise money and hire people. So kind of very early on, we decided to, you know, there's kind of four buckets on how we judge our progress, as you would have seen from our investor updates. It's kind of product and technology, users, team and brand. Um, and we split that where I look after users and team and my co-founder Roy looks after product and brand. Um, and I think I, I always had this question where like, if you're a co-founder, but you're not a CEO or a CTO, like, what are you, you know? So I think initially I kind of called myself the CEO, but that never felt like it was the right title, you know, also, also saying that I, uh, I'm not a believer in titles anyway, you know? <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so, so, and then I think that at the end of the day, like my role right now is to make sure that you know, the voice of the users is represented at the, um, at, at the tech conversation. So probably kind of my, what, what I do day to day is speak to users and bring those insights into the product team. And, and it, it, it felt to me that chief customer officer was the most appropriate title to do that. Um, I also came up with it before I Googled and said that there is this role at large tech companies, you know, so uh, I don't know, maybe I'll change it, let's see. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I, I say like well, it's one of those things. I mean, like again, like uh, I guess for me, my personal experience and from what I've seen, you, you know, when when I started SaaS stock, I was like, you know, co-founder of SaaS stock and uh, mm. evolved, I evolved in take, taking the role of CEO. Actually, never really felt comfortable for the first couple of years. I think like many mm. uh, founders uh, do, like of like calling myself the CEO. Like, what am I, the CEO of a four-person company? You know, <laughs> Uh, you know, yeah. it seems sort of quite strange, but then you, you know, obviously, uh, as we sort of grow, then you kind of you grow into grow into that. But uh, again, I we often see many founders like it's good to have a title to kind of say, well, this is where I'm specifically focused in, you mm -hmm. know, looking after this kind of area. And these things kind of change, and we've seen like um, like Martin Henk, uh, who's one of the co-founders of PipeDrive, who's an investor in SaaS mm -hmm. stock. You know, I think he had like he's had like four or five different 
roles at Pipe Drive, you know, before he kind of left the business and different titles, you know, mm. from being that original co-founder, right? So I think uh, yeah. you know, things, things kind of change. But so yeah, pretty- it should definitely reflect kind of what you do on a day-to-day basis more so than anything else. Yeah. And I think a lot, a lot of people struggle with that. Um, what about I've seen? Uh, I don't know if you've seen. I've seen this sort of trend, but uh, that people have like uh, instead of like the CEO. They, they relate it to their company and like what their company is doing and their sort of like uh, mission or whatever. So chief, chief chili person or whatever, or the chief, <laughs> chief happiness officer, but really they're the, yeah. C- they're the CEO, but they don't want to call themselves the CEO. Like what, what are your thoughts on that? I think, you know, because of the people we deal with, right? Like if you've ever seen an enterprise salesperson, they're incredibly serious people. Yeah. I don't think it would. I think there, there are certain, like, you can be a different thing internally and externally. Um, I think with, like, a chief happiness officer, wouldn't, wouldn't reflect uh, good on, like, a, you know, an A from Oracle with five million a year quota. But, uh, but you know what? If it works for you, and I, I just think that it's, uh, people need to look at the title and know kind of who are you, you know, what do you do, what kind of problems can they bring to you, and, and how are you helpful? Makes sense. And so, like earlier, we covered like a couple of lessons from uh, your, your kind of pre-seed uh, uh, funding sort of uh, round. Um, but like in, in your, uh, I guess, kind of like story so far, you, you know, which is still mm. you know, it's quite early. What are some of the challenges that you faced? You, I, I guess, kind of uh, in general, perhaps that they can be related to fundraising or not, or not. Uh, but and and how do you overcome them? Yeah, so I think the, the the biggest challenge so far for us was finding a head of engineering or, you know, call it CTO, technical co-founder, basically finding a senior tech person to join us. Chris. Um, right? <laughs> yeah, Chuck, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so so finding, you know, and, and I think it was the challenge two ways. One, I think it's, we were at the stage where you know, it was just two of us. It wasn't really kind of a company. So we were looking for a quasi co-founder, um, but also someone who wasn't part of the ideation. Um, and they would would have to basically sell them. They would basically have to assume the responsibilities of a co-founder without immediately sharing the, the vision, right? That, that we both share. Um, we've also found, as I'm sure you know, you know, there's a lot of like brilliant, experienced senior people who, the last time they touched a piece of code was uh, five years ago, right? <laughs> and, and, and that kind of person wouldn't have been right for, for a company at our stage and, and our size. Uh, so we were looking for someone who was basically, you know, very technical, very experienced, uh, could build a team, but also was still close enough to the process where, you know, like he or she could come in, look at all the things and say, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what I can do. Here's where I need people, right? Um, and uh, the, the other challenge, I think it's like, it's a, um, for such a small company, like even the recruiters are not really there to help you, right? Because you, those people you usually have to find through the network or other places. So we spent pretty much the first three months of being a company, speaking with a lot of different people um, who we, we thought could be, you know, the right person for us. Um, we had kind of very good candidates from our network who ended up not being a good fit because we spent a lot of time, you know, trying to convince them like why this is a great opportunity and they should leave their job at like, you know, a big and stable company and, 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 and join us. Um, 
And then, you know, we met Chuck, who uh, found us on AngelList. He was uh, kind of the most senior tech person at General Assembly, wanted to work for a startup, knew what that entailed. Um, and, and things kind of clicked from, from, you know, the first conversation that we had. So I think uh, what I'd like to, the message I'd like to, you know, pass on to people, one is to be more open. Um, and, you know, your first hire may not come from your immediate network and that's okay. And, you know, there are other places where you can find people. Um, and the second is probably that mindset matters a lot more than any kind of technical experience, because, if you know at, at our kind of stage for a company with one year of runway if you know if a person doesn't think they can deliver what it takes for the, the company to go to the next stage they probably wouldn't even consider it um so I, I would say kind of you know if someone's not sure of joining a startup and, and wanting to get in that early you know say thank you and move on to the next person who is great lessons appreciate you, you sharing those um uh, great to see you, you know uh, as well that uh, that you know uh, I guess kind of case study or real life experience of Chuck not Chris finding you uh, you know on Angel List and uh, leaving you know uh, I guess kind of a great well known kind of you know company like General Assembly to come into a, a into a startup and uh, um, so yeah so definitely you obviously saw something uh, there right so, uh, which is good uh, so tell yeah. us so, so I come, a couple of final questions like one. Right. What's next for, for sales room? So you like mm-hmm. given where you are now, given that you've kind of come come out of stealth, like looking at the 12, next 12 months or maybe even less, like what's next? Uh, and then like, you know, where can people find, uh, you, you know, uh, and learn more about sales room? Sure. So um, immediately, I think we're, we're expanding our beta testing program. We are, um, interviewing account executive all day, every day. So if you are an account executive, please do reach out. We would like to speak with you. Uh, we, we want to be kind of, you know, consistent about telling our story and uh, educating the world on, on why they should approach virtual sales differently from in-person interaction and, and how we can be helpful in that. Um, and then probably in a few months time, we go back to the market to raise, to raise a seed round and, and go at it even faster. Uh, we are uh, on salesroom.com. That was a very expensive domain name, <laughs> as, you can, as you can guess. I can imagine, uh, yeah. It, it would make me very sad if people don't go to the website, so please <laughs> do. <laughs> um, we're, we're all on LinkedIn, so uh, feel free to connect on LinkedIn with any one of us or, or all of us. Um, and if you're looking for, you know, a, a company to join, please do consider us. And you can reach me on Daria at uh, salesroom.com. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, uh, looking forward to, you know, testing out the product and obviously, you know, following the, the, the story more um, and, and, and seeing the, uh, the success, uh, you know, that uh, hopefully uh, you guys will be uh, uh, getting this year. But no doubt, uh, I'm sure that that'll be happening. So. So Daria, um, thank you so much for sharing with the uh, the SaaS Revolution show and the the, the, the SaaS sort of founders and audience that's listening uh, today. Really appreciate it. Um, you know, it's a a great story early on, and uh, yeah, looking to looking forward to follow uh, uh, the success. Uh, you know, over the, the next while. Thank you. Looking forward to having the success for you to follow. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaS Doc conferences around the world.